we founded this company because we really believe that if everyone out there has the opportunity to reflect a little bit more or reflect better with another person, we can make the world become a better place. Hello and welcome to another episode of Speak Like a CEO. My name is Lena Carlson and I'm here with Oliver Ast, the CEO of Rewoodset. Hello. Hi Lena. Our guest today is Hendrik Schriefer. He's the CEO of Sharpest, a leading platform for personalized learning and development in business. It's definitely very interesting times for Sharpest. There's heightened interest in digital coaching due to COVID and they've also raised millions and they have big plans for the future. So it's a great time to talk to Hendrik. Hi there. Hi Oliver. Hi Lena. It's great to be here. So to kick off, we'd love to know a little bit more about what Sharpest is and how you came to be the CEO there. Sure, I'm happy to share something. So Sharpest really helps predominantly large enterprise organizations to retain and grow their people. And we do this through offering the leaders and actually every employee there the opportunity to meet a coach in a one-on-one -on -one video call setting. And it doesn't stop just with a coaching, but we intensify the experience by offering so-called micro-tasks, so little exercises that help you to transcend those reflections from the coaching into the workplace. And uh, the organizations around it have the opportunity to thereby bring coaching really to everyone across the globe and also see the measurable impact that this has on the company so it's not as intangible as other leadership development offerings might be. And we do that with companies like DHL, Axel Springer or BASF, for instance. And how do you match the coaches and the coaches? Great question. So it starts with basically making sure that every coachee provides us with a goals assessment, as we call it, where you would enter just like very elementary information around what's your background, the industry that you work in, your leadership level, but also some real coaching questions, such as, If you leave the office with a feeling of full contentment, what has happened at that day? And we use all that input to sort of to find out what kind of person you are. And then on the other end, we have the coaches and their information, of course, from their CVs and our interviews with them, but also mostly from the coaching sessions that they've offered on Sharpest already. And we then algorithmically make sure that you have an ideal fit there for the first coaching session. But beyond that, we also check in frequently after every session whether that's still a good fit. And if at any point we might have the feeling from our analytics that there might be a better fit between coach and coachee, we could continuously recommend a new person. So that's something that also goes much beyond what you would know from traditional coaching or mentorship programs. Is it fair to describe it as a marketplace for coaching then? Uh, I, I prefer to call it a platform because I think um, for us, it doesn't, the, the coaching is, a, is the central element that it circulates around. So basically in the coaching session with your coach, you can always again have those reflective moments to find out what's the next step in your career or what you could do differently as a leader. But then it's important that you have those experiences that, as I said earlier, transcend into the workplace. And here we work with content partners like Blinkist, for instance, or get abstract or others that help you to do those little bit of learning that goes just beyond the coaching. So we prefer to call ourselves a platform rather than a marketplace, I suppose. And you mentioned that the results are actually measurable. So how exactly does that happen? Yeah, so I think um, everyone that has been uh, at, in, in a coaching session already or someone who has been more on the organizational end often wonders, what did I really learn here? Or what, what did 
what did my employees learn here particularly? And so often uh, this learning is either noted in your own little notebook or in the coach's notebook, but it doesn't go really anywhere. And so what we do around the coaching is that after every session, we would ask both the, the learner, so the employee, as well as the coach to document a little bit what was this about and did they have any epiphanies? We call these aha moments. And then anonymized and aggregatedly, we can run analyses for the organizations that would show them over all their hundreds of employees on a program, what are the topics that really drive people? Is this, are we undergoing a time of crisis? Is this about crisis management? Or are uh, people more concerned with their stress levels, resilience? Um, or is it really around basic leadership principles, such as how do I prioritize correctly? And organizations can see those analytics firsthand already. And beyond that, then we can run more in-depth analyses where we could do pre-service and post-service to see whether those topics link to any performance KPI, such as individual productivity, employee retention, or ultimately also revenue and turnover. And that's, that's kind of the, where, where the coaching marries the performance assessment and, and those analytics are visible to our clients in their dashboards. Yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, the people don't pay for the time or the coaching, they pay for the transformation, especially companies, and they want it to be measurable. So I can see this uh, as, as a, a very clear competitive advantage for you. But where did the idea come from originally? So I'm a psychologist by education. I studied psychology in Munich and in Oxford. And once actually I visited this seminar called Luck, what I found got quite interesting was that that psychologist that was, was teaching the seminar, he wasn't coming from the clinical end of things, but he in, sparked this idea in the students' heads to say, what if we helped everyone stay healthy and sane rather than just uh, tackle the mental health issues that people have once they've become sick? And I started thinking about that quite some time. And like years and years later, I found this book by a, another psychologist called Tasha Yurik. It's an like, uh, American author and um, psychologist and uh, yeah, the book is pretty Americanized, I must say. But um, what I liked was um, this s sort of similar vision that she um, described, where she said, "Look, like ten percent uh, of people actually are self-reflective, but ninety percent of people think they were. So, what if we changed this around and helped people to be more reflective and thereby lead better relationships with the people that they interact with, and also better relationships with themselves, which is this preventive angle again." We started running a couple experiments and quickly realized that self-reflectiveness and actually mental health prevention back then weren't really topics, unfortunately so, that the end consumer, so the B2C client, would be paying for. But it were topics that really, really mattered to organizations. And um, particularly with those personal um, domains like mental health and prevention, they struggled, however, to bring an individual solution to everyone. So marry personalization with, with global scale. And that's when, we, when, when Sharpest was born, because we thought, well, why can't we just solve this by, by moving the, the conversation between a coach, which essentially is something like preventive uh, psychology um, or basically self-reflection with a professional pra a practitioner, why can't we move this conversation on a video call and thereby make it suddenly very scalable and available to everyone across the globe. And so we had the first clients before we had our first product. And then we knew, okay, we have to do this and make it really available to enterprises everywhere across the globe. When I talk to friends and colleagues, a lot of them love the idea of coaching or having a coach to work with them, particularly on their professional development. 
But a lot of the time they don't know where to start. They don't know exactly what their goals are. They're not really sure how much they want to share with someone they don't know. How do you kind of build that relationship and that trust straight away to make sure that that relationship is super beneficial for those participating? Yeah, I think that's like one really essential realization that we also made at Sharpest. So when we were still pretty young as a company and we had the first client that wanted to launch with several hundred of learners um, on their platform, we as founders were, of course, super excited and said, yeah, sure, we can do this and we, we can uh, provide you all the best services that you could imagine. And then a couple of weeks in our partnership, we realized that it was a huge struggle to make sure that those uh, several hundred licensees that they had just purchased were actually being used by people because they were describing just with what you said, Lena, that they wouldn't know really what to use this coaching for and, and also who would be the right coach for them. So what we do now at Sharpest is that we offer um, initial webinars with every one of our clients where we would go as far as to mock a coaching situation where basically an employee here from Sharpest is, is sitting in the call and uh, being coached live. It's, it's not something that we stage, but it's really a, a live coaching session that's happening. And then suddenly people realize, ah, okay, so it's totally normal to have this person um, to talk about uh, my stress issues, or it's totally normal to have someone outside of the company to help me um, uh, better understand how I can motivate my teams and my employees. And so this is where it starts for us to make sure that we get a common understanding of what does coaching mean for the individual and what's the purpose for the organization. And this is the way that we onboard and launch every single one of our clients now. And what we've seen is that rather than now when we start programs with hundreds of people where maybe 20 or 30% of the people might be launching with a program uh, after a couple of weeks, now it's that in week two, we have close to 100% of people being live and initiating their coaching. And that's so it really comes down to making sure that the why behind uh, coaching is clear to everyone that would be offered sharpest uh, just within the first day. Yeah, super interesting. I think you're bringing together the best of the digital world and the best of the one-to-one -one conversational element that coaching has. Do you think there's an even bigger role for technology in, in the communications part going forward or are you happy with the balance between the two? Oh, absolutely. And, and that's like one thing that I might have missed when talking about why we founded the company. So even though we are clearly moving in the digital coaching space, we did not found Sharpest because we wanted to just give a coach to everyone. But we founded this company because we really believe that if everyone out there has the opportunity to reflect a little bit more or reflect better with another person, we can make the world become a better place. But, but let's be honest, a coaching hour comes at several hundred euros usually. So that's clearly not something that's there for everyone, but it's a service that's there for the privileged. And so one thing that we are always exploring is how can we make sure that out of one one-on-one -on -one minute, so this minute with a coach, we can generate a multitude of minutes of learning. This could be by making sure that you sort of have a little bit of a prep before of your coaching session just with yourself. It can be done via those exercises, or it could be by facilitating group sessions. So for us, really, um, I think that's the role of technology to make sure that the efficacy of the human moment is, is um, expanded into yeah, your own thought space on your smartphone, essentially. 
I kind of think that maybe we would have some better businesses if more people studied psychology before entering the business world, because I think there really is a very important, you know, part where the two collide. Can you talk a little bit about how you think your perspective is different because of that? Yeah, it's a funny question because I always wanted to study business, actually. Um, and uh, then I think I studied psychology because I thought business was too easy and everyone was doing that. So, and I, I must be honest, I, I really didn't like my psychology uh, studies in the beginning because especially if you study where I did my bachelor's in, in Germany, it's a lot of learning by heart. And, and basically, you just need to learn who was that certain researcher, like, was this experiment ran with, like, run with, mice or with rats um literally the, the weirdest things were assessed in our exams and it, i think it didn't really come down to the application uh, of psychology however when i started um my my career i'm like already back then at rocket internet where i had one of my first jobs um i always thought that those concepts like nonviolent communication or giving feedback or perspective taking was something that every human would have learned and that was just like normal to everyone and it was more about my, during my time at Sharpest then that I had to realize, oh no, that's basically something that, yeah, I, I, like that's just so so natural to me because I had studied that for a couple of years. So yes, I think um, those psychological fundamentals are tremendously helpful, particularly for young leaders. However, then I think, again, I think most psychologists, unfortunately, are in, like tremendously risk averse. And so probably... Um, yeah, they are. They don't necessarily make up for the best business people either. So ideally, you have the opportunity to kind of tap into both fields, business as well as some fundamentals of psychology. No, that's great. I mean, you're at the intersection of uh, business and psychology. And I wonder, uh, you know, where's this, where's this heading? I think it's a relatively new field. If you look at leadership and psychology and, and communications and, and the intersection of, of that with, uh, you know, business leadership. So how do you think this will develop? Will psychology play an ever bigger role in leadership? And do the leader of the leaders of the future have to become ever more psychologically literate? Hmm. Interesting question. Um, I mean, I, I think generally when when you're exploring soft skills, I, I think this these become more and more important, even the larger organizations become. I think if you if you listen to experienced leaders like Toby Lutke from Shopify or Daniel Ek from Spotify, for instance, you realize even though they are technicians, most that they talk about is how do they structure their organizations um, and, and how do they motivate their people. And hence, I think those are skill sets that become more and more relevant because the larger your organization is, the less important is your functional knowledge, right? You don't need to be the best programmer anymore and um, when you're running a team of 50 engineers and even less so when it's 500 engineers i believe so i'm not sure whether the structure of organizations has changed over time but i clearly believe that the mindsets of the world have changed and leaders are increasingly starting to understand that yeah they, they need to understand the fundamentals of how to build organizations and make those sustainable environments where they take into account all sorts of perspectives of like the perspectives of the interns, the perspectives of their partners, the perspectives of the permanent employees, but also, of course, investors in the general market. So, yeah, I'd say, again, like psychological fundamentals have probably always been important, but I have a feeling that there's a trend for people realizing that they should probably spend some time improving their soft skill toolkit. 
Yes, it's interesting. And I, I, my theory would be that the command and control uh, kind of organization of the past is on its way out, right? And in order to survive in the market today, in order to attract talent and retain talent and, and sort of win the day and win the future, you have to persuade people, whether that's investors, customers, your own talent, without that skill of persuasion, you, you won't be able to win win the future. And in the past, I think it was more about command and control and hierarchies and, and just telling people what to do. And that's clearly less relevant today. And I actually wrote in one of my books that I don't think those skills sh should be called soft skills. I think they should be called hard skills these days, because that's really what a leader is. A leader can persuade and has a strategy and convinces everyone to follow them. And that's therefore no longer soft skill, but an essential part of being a leader. But that, that's just, you know, that's just my take on it. Totally, but I, yeah, I totally agree. I also struggle with the with the term soft skills because it it kind of yeah puts them on a different level than those functional skills that people might bring to the table. And I've definitely realized in the genesis of our company when we were positioning our model first, many many clients were asking for more the sales type of coaching. Can't you make my salesperson perform better um, and like pitch better to to the client because that directly relates to the revenue that they can close. But now I have the feeling that we, so we are around three years old as a company now. And now I have the feeling that it's much more normal for organizations to say, yes, um, basically, we don't even care as much. Um, what are the specifics that people are discussing with their coach? But we believe that there is something intangible to us that makes a good leader. And we think that you with Sharpest as an organization or coaching as a tool can help uh, unlock this, this intangible potential um, in our leaders. And so, yeah, I, I definitely believe um, we still have quite the way to go to make um, soft skills be understood just like hard skills or functional skills. But definitely the the term terminology soft skills is not really like just to what, it, what they actually are. One point I wanted to pick up from before is just that right now, I think like lots of people are working from home The pandemic has been ongoing now for a year and a half for a lot of people. And recently, like the New York Times came out with this article about the word languishing, which was kind of a new vocab word. And it was basically trying to describe this feeling blah during the pandemic. So when you're kind of just like getting by, but not really feeling like successful or accomplished or all of these things. And, you know, There were so many studies about people working like longer hours, but not feeling so fulfilled whilst working at home over the last year. And I was just wondering, maybe you had some insights into this from the coaching perspective, how this can maybe help people to work smarter and not harder, to feel a little bit more involved and motivated and included in what they're trying to do. Yeah, this term languishing, I actually had to, um, even though the dramatic it is, I had to smile about it a little bit because I believe it's something that, at least in psychology, we've been aware of for quite some time. I think the researcher is Seligman. I'm not too sure whether I'm mixing some things up here, but how the term, how I would call it is actually something that is termed learned helplessness. So it comes from an experiment where people had locked dogs into a box. And so there was one compartment where the dogs could be in where they would get electroshocks actually, and they wouldn't know why. And, and there was another compartment where the, the dogs knew they were crossing a certain line and basically they got shocked. And once you had been repeating that unfortunate procedure over quite some time, you realized that the dogs that had the feeling of control because they were passing over the line to get the shock, they 
pretty much understood like the why behind those things, but the dogs in the other compartment where things seemed random didn't. And so when the box was suddenly open and they could move freely again, you realize that those dogs without the feeling of control would just stay, stay numb basically, because they had this, this feeling of learned helplessness. And that's something that I see now with the prolongation of lockdowns in the workspace as well. Like people don't really have the feeling they can control the environment around themselves. And so you are asking like, like what we, what can we kind of draw from that? And, and I believe there's, there's an opposite to this term learned helplessness called learned optimism. And I believe that's something that we'll need to spark in people, especially now when it comes down to returning to the workplace, because some researchers say that we might be might have to accept that people actually are in that state of learned helplessness. And even though the world is turning back to normal, we are all getting increasingly vaccinated, hopefully we might go back to our workplaces, summer is out, a share of our employees will stay in this depressed state and not really understand what to do. And I believe um, some organizations try to tackle that with those spray paint solutions where they by uh, whatnot, like a, a learning, learning, a digital learning solution just for everyone where you can log in, but it's so impersonal because people just like search for content that might be relevant for them or uh, they, they give them a yoga class that's like, again, not really relevant for everyone. And I believe it really comes down to making sure that you have most individual offers. So you understand what's the circumstances that a person is in, are they in that certain depressed state or not? And what do they really need to transform their mindset into a status of learned optimism? I would love to talk about uh, your marketing communications as well. So you're obviously attracting a lot of great companies to go into business with you. How do you do that? Is it about you as the founders building a personal brand? Is it advertising? Is it marketing? Is it word of mouth? So what, what's, the, what's the silver bullet for you? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a funny one because every like the other day I was talking with um like an acquaintance founder of a much larger company and we were going through our current growth rates and so and then he asked me like so how much do you actually spend on your marketing and um I, I revealed to him the fractional amount of our bu budget that we allocate to that and he just looked at me through the camera and said like wow like you don't even know what kind of potential is ahead of you because you're like spending so little on that. So first, I think we are doing way too little here at Sharpest that we can actually do um, with regards to spreading the word, word and like making sure that people know about our business. And, and second, what's kind of our messaging there? I must, I must admit, it's like pretty much outbound sales driven. So we have, have a, like, like two teams, basically, one that generates leads for us and reaches out to all sorts of decision makers and tries to understand What's the pain point that they have with regards to retaining and growing their people and how might we be able to help? And then we have another team that makes them learn about our solution and um, like develop a plan with how Sharpest could specifically help with regards, again, to retaining and, and growing their people. So probably we don't even have a too focused um, strategy in that regard. And it's, it's definitely something where we can make more use of also of the network of coaches, for instance, that we have that usually have great stories to tell. That's very promising then, exciting things to come when you can actually kind of expand and focus into those areas that come after you've kind of, you know, started to build the startup. What are some of your immediate priorities? Like, what are you trying to accomplish in the next, say, six months to a year? Yeah, for us, one definite focus point is how can we take this more global? So right now we have more than 500 coaches that work with us everywhere across the globe already. But 
if you look at the locations of our client partners, usually their headquarters are somewhere in the Germany, Austria, Switzerland region. And we believe that people development and personalized coaching and learning is not something that should be reserved just for us here in the GSA region, but it's really something that we should take across the globe. So we are already active now in the Benelux market where we just started recently. We are eyeing on the Nordics market and we have even a first client that's working with us on the African continent. So international expansion is definitely something that we'll be driving. And I'm super stoked to see that now also the markets are opening up increasingly. So I think it's the right strategy and the right way to go. And you've also raised quite a, quite a large sum of money or repeat, have repeatedly raised money. Could you speak to how you convinced investors to keep investing in Sharpest? <laughs> I think potentially you would have to ask our investors. But one thing that definitely um, one of the partners at Forvec Ventures who have invested in us always remembers me or reminds me of is the number of WhatsApp messages that I sent to him uh, during the fundraise. So I like to have a pretty personal relationship with most of the people that are excited about what we are doing at Sharpest, because I believe even though investors provide you with money, it's, it's, it can be much more because it's, it's definitely a partnership that you're entering in for a long period of time, even tens of years sometimes, at least like a couple of years. And here, what we've, what we've done to convince them is to take them on that journey early on. So basically, before they've made the investment decision, make sure that they have the opportunity to meet some of the clients and understand why do they love working with Sharpest, meet some of the coaches and learn from them why have they in, engaged with our platform and why do they spend so much time on it, and then provide them with all the buzz and fuzz around the things that are happening internally here and maybe give them even some little secrets on that WhatsApp channel so that they stay as excited about our business as we are. Because I think one difference that you need to be aware of as a CEO or founder is that you have that full inside picture and a person that's just trying to make up their mind or aggregate the puzzle from the outside can never have that full perspective. So I, I believe the more you can share with them over that process and the more you can develop a real relationship, the better both sides, you as well as the potential investor, can understand whether this is a partnership that you are worth pursuing for a longer period of time. Sounds like a good strategy. Um, as we almost finish up, I'd love to know your best communications advice. <laughs> yeah, um, I've, I think I've learned a lot in, in that direction, especially because our company has has grown so quickly and undergone so like different stages, right? If you're a leader of like five or 10 people, I believe you need to communicate very differently than like right now we are more than 60 people when you have that kind of organization. Same accounts for if you are leading first-time leaders or more experienced managers. And one thing that I had to learn over time is how important it is to repeat the same story and the same keywords or principles that you consider important for, for your teams. Because I always found it weird when I had to say the same thing over and over again. But one thing that I didn't realize, again, was that people wouldn't be in my mind all the time while I was. Um, and also, while, while you keep adding so many new people to the team, there's always someone for that this message that you're just sending out is completely new. So one thing that I'm spending a lot of time on right now, and also I think our leadership team is, is always trying to take this vision of personalized learning for everyone out there and put it into bite-sized chunks and clear milestones and how can we achieve this 
and then repeat those milestones over and over again until we've actually achieved them so that everyone really understands what's highest up on the agenda over a certain period of time. So I think my clear learning is repetition is, is repetition and simplification is the absolute key. One of your investors is Dennis Aogo, and uh, he's a German international football player, or former, uh, and he's, he's invested in Sharpers, and as I understand it, he was also uh, one of your one of your customers. This is kind of, I had to smile when I saw this, because in our previous conversation with Eva Meinen from Plus Dental, uh, Mario Götze invested in them. So I thought, okay, that's quite interesting. Is this a trend that footballers invest in, in startups now? But how did this come about, and does it help you in any way in terms of your communication and, and, and maybe credibility people see with, um, you Know, relatively famous people investing in, in the startup? I believe with Dennis, it's probably a little bit different, even though he's always cited when Mario Götze is also being cited. it's With Dennis, I think it's really the personal touch for the topic and then maybe also for the people. So one thing that most people don't know is that my co-founder Fabian actually was a professional soccer player in his high school years. I think he was playing for, what is it, Rot-Weiss Essen. Um, I'm not too firm with soccer and, and football, so I don't know myself. But so he was he was into the matter himself. And then we got an intro from one of Fabian's previous bosses, who was also friends with Dennis. And so that's that's kind of how the relationship started. And then the beautiful aspect here was that Dennis himself had undergone an immense period of stress when becoming a professional uh, soccer player. I think as everyone is, if you're a very young person and suddenly you're like playing on a huge field in front of thousands and thousands of people, right? And you're just like, you just have to perform, you have to deliver, and you're just, you're often not even fully developed from your mind. And so back then already, he realized that just coaching your body and making sure that your body is at peak performance is really not what's going to cut it. But you also need to make sure that your mind in, is in this stable, insane state. And so he had made that realization very early on and then came through the personal contact and just saw that huge potential for coaching in the sports field, actually, and said, great, I totally understand why this is working. I see the numbers that this is working in the business. So I want to be a part of this. And so just for him to participate and, and really bring in his, his mindset. He also wanted to invest and said, yeah, I, I just really want to be more than just a sponsor from the outside, but be as mentally involved as possible and also make a little bit of a financial contribution. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Henning. Much appreciated. It's super interesting to hear about uh, you working at the intersection of business and psychology, uh, coaching uh, in a way that it brings, to, brings together the best of the digital world, as well as the one-on-one -on -one conversations that make coaching special and make it work. So super interesting. Thank you so much. Uh, all the best for the coming months, uh, big plans you have and for your expansion. And uh, I think you're on a great mission. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Yeah.